Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Giving simple pleasures to men legally for over 70 weeks. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine. Yes, the world-famous leading expert on my opinion, coming to you from the smoke-filled recording studio built here outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Great show tonight going to touch on my point of view on bowl coatings, dig into those a little bit further. My guest tonight, Russ Ouellette, master blender of the Hearth and Home Tobacco Series, Uh, mailbag, and music because of the return to the airways of American Idol, and at the end of the show, a rant inspired by one of our own PipesMagazine.com forum members, uh, posts and trials and tribulations with his neighbors so hang all the way in for that and yes i am excited that harry connick jr is on american idol as a judge dvring it right now watched last night's gotta love harry i don't know why all these people are looking at jennifer lopez on there anyway uh that's that's been a highlight of the week so far The uh, low light of the week, if you follow me on Facebook, you will have noticed that um, we uh, put a water feature in in our kitchen. Uh, Kitchen's on the first floor, bathroom up on the second floor, toilet broke, made water feature into the the kitchen. Uh, The only real casualty, my smaller of my two seven-pipe bags. Absolutely nothing was in it but a pack of pipe cleaners, thankfully. I had cleaned and organized and put my pipes away before. And the bag was sitting on our uh, kitchen counter and it uh, caught a whole bunch of water. So it's a little crunchy now. But Alright, enough with that stuff. We're getting it all fixed. All covered by insurance. Luckily no pipes were harmed. Let's get the show rolling. Everybody fire up a bowl. Sit back, relax, thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Malto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMaltoDolce.com. Mmm, see, see, ooh, and burning in such a firm, strong vulcanite stem and large manly bowl. Do you mind if I try? I just love the feel of Grande Briar in my mouth, don't you? Uh, sure. Oh, signore, this truly is molto dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. (laughs) Just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth, washing over my ravenous taste buds as they slowly caress together and slide down my throat. 
Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore! Can't you almost see them, signore? Those beautiful and delicious flavors all rolling around together in their silky smooth bed of rich burly and Virginia tobacco, each playfully trying to dominate the other as they commingle and caress each other in a battle to bring complete joy to all of your senses. First, the warm, sticky caramel is on top, pushed over and held down by the sweet, rich vanilla, trying to show her who is boss. Finally, the dripping warm honey comes in and flows all over both of them, mixing her sweet nectar into the rich, deep flavors. Now all of them are laughing as they collapse onto the silky sheets of ribbon-cut leaf and melt together into a delectable pool to team up and bring such sweet and tasty pleasure to your mouth. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Tongues aren't for biting now, are they? Although... <laughs> Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sightlife Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. Please use product at your own risk as you may become a target for sudden, unexpected, unwarranted, and often seductive, dark, and feminine attention, although Italian is not guaranteed, especially when smoking in close quarters. Use of product may result in sudden loss or theft of any smoking paraphernalia holding the burning mixture at the time and is not limited to pipes made of briar, clay, or mershauer in your person at the time of smoking incident. Liability for the loss of property is solely the risk of user, and customers of Balto Dolce will hold the company harmless for any loss of property, unwanted advances on their person, inappropriate touching of any part of their body, or other such consequences resulting from the proper use of multidolci. Welcome back. Is it just me or did, did it just seem to get warm in here? Um, anyway, I wanted to weigh in a little bit further in on the bowl coating discussion that has gone on for a long time now, and I referenced back to our own uh, Gregory Pease's three-part article. Uh Earlier on, I've said I prefer a pipe to be pre-carved or coated. I like a bowl coating because it helps me break in the pipe faster, makes loading the pipe easier. I don't have to really work in getting that first bit of cake going because it helps build the cake faster. Now, in Greg's article, he talks about three different kinds of bowl coatings. And basically, the first one is a stain or a dye. And you will see pipe companies or pipe manufacturers who will do a light staining to the to the pipe. I think personally it's to make the pipe look nicer when you're going to purchase it. But at the beginning, it does make it a problem to, uh, to break in and smoke because you've got to burn off that stain in the bowl. Uh, the second reason that I know of that I will see uh, pipe factories in particular, especially pipe factories... Coatable is because when they're staining or coloring the pipe, they dip the entire pipe. So in order to protect the pipe smoker from that taste of stain or dye in the bowl, they come back after it and put a bowl coating in. They put a simple basic pre-carb. Now when Greg goes into it further, there's two more types to, that he qualifies them as. Uh, there's the organic and then there's the inorganic. 
Um, organic is basically what we're going to find in what I consider to be a higher grade pipe, a pipe of better quality, a artisan pipe of that nature. It's all going to be kind of food quality or edible substances that line the bowl. They're not supposed to attract any flavor, nor are they supposed to block the wood from breathing. So you, you allow a little bit of transfer between the wood, of the, between the briar of the pipe and your tobacco. You get a little bit of the natural briar sweetness. And you shouldn't, after maybe the first or second bowl, you shouldn't get any hint of tobacco or any hint of bowl coating taste whatsoever. Uh, I do know in my experience, I've had some artisan pipes that the first bowl or two were kind of rough, but after that, smooth as a, smooth as can be. Uh, I've also had some pipes that I bought brand new, required absolutely, had no problem breaking them in, no weird taste from the beginning, no nothing like that. Uh, the third and final one is the, uh, is the water glass, and the water glass really does make a a non-permeable layer between the bowl and your tobacco. And it really does kind of form a solid layer in there. A uh, long, long time ago, back in the 50s and 60s, asbestos was one of the things used in bowl coatings. And that would put a solid coating in there. So you really didn't get much of the, uh, much of the briar taste at all. Uh, I think that for most of us that are smoking tobaccos that especially if it's an aromatic you're really not going to not going to need the extra sweetness or taste of the briar um if it's somebody like me that's dedicated to one tobacco and one tobacco only yeah it does taste a little bit different in different pipes but I attribute that to curing processes even in some of my own Brigham pipes where we have switched now to a basic black pre-carb, hardly taste the difference. I get my tobacco pack the way I like it and the way it goes. Those of you that are super tasters out there, you may notice the difference right away. Um, I will say that if you're uh, not a fan of bowl coating and you can do completely what Greg does, if you buy a pipe that's coated, get the reamer in there, take it out, start from fresh wood. For me, it's not exactly what I like to do, but that's my opinion, and I am the leading expert on it. So, in just a minute, Russ Ouellette will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. It is my pleasure to finally welcome to the airwaves of the Pipes Magazine radio show, tobacco blender, pipe smoker, all-around swell guy, Russ Ouellette. Russ, did I pronounce your last name correctly? 
No, no, Brian, it's Willette, but that's okay. Well, how do you get how do you get Willette out of O U E L L E T T E? Uh, you you would have to ask a, a real Frenchman that question. So you're taking your pronunciation of your last name from the same people that love Jerry Lewis. Uh, hey, look, there's no accounting for taste, uh, but they do like butter. That they do. Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. So, for those that don't know you, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where'd you grow up? When did you first start getting involved in pipe smoking and all that fun stuff? Well, uh, for the first 55 or so years of my life, uh, I lived in the area around Albany, New York. Um... I don't apologize for that. It's where I was born, and, you know, I didn't know any better. Um, when I was in college, um, I decided to take up a pipe. My father had been a pipe smoker, and uh, so I, I uh, of course, used all the facilities at my disposal and uh, bought one of the pipe. And a pouch of uh, Borkum Riff. Yay! Uh, Interestingly enough, um, somehow I still wound up sticking with the pipe. Uh, And uh, about six months after I started, uh, I was offered a part-time job at a uh, local shop. And uh, I worked there for a few years. Uh, and uh, wound up as assistant manager of the store, and that's when I started uh, playing around with blending pipe tobaccos. What was the name of the store? Uh, It was part of a chain uh, called the Pipe Den. There were, at one time, 15 stores in New England and New York. Oh, wow. So what was the... What was the basic mix, product mix of the store, pipe-wise? Well, yeah, that that store was a volume-oriented mall operation. So uh, mostly everything that we sold was in the mid to lower range. Um, We had a few nicer pipes. We had a few Sheratons. uh, But for the most part, uh, it, it was... Board pipes, basket pipes, um, and some some nice middle of the road pipes. We had Savinelli and Bari and uh, a number of other brands that uh, uh, some of which are or most of which are long gone now. And where were you guys getting most of your tobacco from? Um. Well, uh, on our bulk bar, it was almost all Lane and um, and uh, Consolidated, which now is Sutliff. Uh, and there was some Peter Stokeby, too. And then we carried the well-known tins at the time, Balkan Sobrani, uh, Three Nuns, uh, John Cotton's. Again, a lot of which we don't see too much anymore. Do you remember how much you sold a tin of 
Falcon Sobrani or John Cotton for? As I remember, it was just a little south of $4 a tin. And those are the same 50-gram tins that are selling for a couple hundred dollars now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wish I had uh, known uh, about that or I would have stocked up. <laughs> so you started blending tobaccos there. Talk to yeah. talk me through your first attempts at blending. What were you thinking about doing? What were you trying to do? What did you do right? What did you do wrong? Well, uh, what I what I tried to do initially was what I think probably everybody who who plays around with blending does. I started taking um, different aromatics and trying to come up with a unique combination. Um, you know, so it would be mango Cavendish and black Cavendish and coming up with something that was absolutely horrible but uh, but smelled great. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, played around with that for a little while. But even at that point, I really wasn't into aromatics myself. So I started playing around with Latakia, Virginias, Orientals, trying to come up with something. And uh, I, I made I made the typical mistakes. Um, you like Latakia, so you use too much. Um, you like Oriental, so you use too much. Uh, and I was very fortunate, though, because right in Albany, we had a competitor uh, who, in the the diehard pipe community, is pretty well known. And that was Mel Feldman from The Smoker. Yeah. And uh, Mel Mel didn't have any problem with the fact that I worked for a competing shop because we really didn't compete. His blends were all uh, made in-house, and they they were all, uh, with the exception of a couple, they, they, they weren't aromatics. He sold Dunhills. <laughs> you know, we never had that customer. So I would go into his shop on a day off and hang out for hours, and we would just talk. And Mel taught me an awful lot about understanding what the different tobaccos were all about and uh, and how to approach blending. And uh, so I was able to carry that back over to the shop, and I, I put together a few blends that we first sold in our store and then wound up uh, passing the recipe along to some of the other 15 stores. Now, when did you, you took a break from the business for a while, didn't you? Yeah, well, the end of the 70s going into the 80s saw a real downturn in pipes and, um, our business was probably 75% pipe and pipe tobacco related. Um, probably only 5 to 10% of it was premium cigars, and the rest of it was 
uh, accessories and uh, chewing tobacco and stuff like that. So I, I was looking to at least be able to pay the rent and uh, the numbers that uh, the company could offer me wouldn't have allowed for that. So I, I had to move on. Uh, but I still kept my hand in because a number of people who used to deal with me at the shop would ask me if I would put something together for them. So they'd buy the tobacco and I'd I'd uh, put their blends together for them. Uh, what did you do for your uh, interim jobs? Uh, mostly sales. Um, I spent... Ten and a half years in the car business, which was just about ten years too much. <laughs> uh, I, I I couldn't stand that, uh, but I uh, because I also had a part time job as a church organist. Um, I was able to actually uh, get into selling pianos and organs for a good stretch. And that, that's mostly what I did. I also uh, ran bowling pro shops and managed bowling centers. That that had to be a ball. Sorry, couldn't resist. Oh, nice. Couldn't resist. All right, so how, yeah. do we, how do we go, how far forward do we go to get you back into the business? Uh, just shy of 10 years ago. Uh, and well, a little bit more than that, if you if you include the prelude, um, I saw a shop in the mall where the pipe den used to have their store, and it was a new shop. So I walked in to uh, see what they had, and I met the guy who owned and operated the shop, and his name was Scott Vendette. And... Uh, Scott and I got to talking, and he found out in the conversation that uh, I had worked at the store that used to be in the mall. And he said to me, do you remember a blend that they had called Milk and Honey? I said, yeah, absolutely, I remember it. He said, you wouldn't happen to remember what it was made of, would you? I said, yeah, I, I made it enough. I, I sure remember he said, Could, would you mind telling me? I said, oh, the company's out of business. Why would I care? <laughs> so I I told him what the blend was, and he said, oh, I've already got that tobacco. I said, well, there you go. That, that's what you need to make it. Well, I picked up some cigars, and I picked up some pipe tobacco, and I went up to the register, and he wouldn't let me pay for it. He said, no, you, you gave me the blend. I'm going to make some money from it because people used to – always come in here asking if we had it because they thought we were just the same store in a different location in the mall. <laughs> so he, he didn't let me pay for it. And every time I walked in the shop after that, after I'd pay for whatever I bought, he'd say to me, so when are you going to come to work for me? <laughs> and this went on for probably about two, two and a half years. And one day I came in after a real bad day at work, and he said, so when are you going to come to work for me? And I said, you got a few minutes to talk? 
And we sat down and we talked, and I walked out the door with a new job. So uh, I, I went to work for him, uh, initially just working on the floor of the store, and within about three months, he uh, he turned over managing, uh, managing the floor to me. And uh, a while after that, he said, you know, you said you did some blending. Would you make some blends that the guys in the pipe club could try? And if they like them, we'll put them on the, on the, the counter. So I did that. And the guys in the pipe club really enjoyed the blends. So we put them on the counter. We started selling them. They sold really well. And we had already had this side business, which was mail order, called PipesAndCigars.com. And he said, they're going well in the store. Let's put them on the website. Now, was this the retail store that had the old men's sock display for the bundled cigars in the humidor? <laughs> no, no, uh, no. And we actually had... Uh, uh, a pretty decent humidor for the size of the store, but uh, it was overstuffed for sure. Now, let me ask you this seriously: when at the previous at the previous shop at the pipe den, and now at the new job, is it is it hard for you? Was it hard for you at that point to find component tobaccos to blend and work with? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's very difficult. Um, when I was at the pipe den. There was an outfit in New York City called Tobacco Center, and I could name any individual component tobacco, and they had it in one-pound bricks. Oh, wow. So, yeah, if I wanted yellow Virginia, I wanted red Virginia, if I wanted uh, fire-cured, if I wanted any individual uh, oriental component. I mean, I used to get Mahala, Vashi Bagley, Dubek, uh, Yeniji. They, they had them all uncut. And it was amazing to be able to get this tobacco. And I could do whatever I wanted. You know, fast forward, I can get yellow Virginia, I can get red Virginia, but most of the oriental components are an amalgamation. The, you know, the, it may have basma, it may have yuniji, it may have drama, uh, but it's all blended. And uh, it made it very difficult. And, and that's why, actually, there are two series uh, among the, the non-aromatics in Hearth and Home because those those components that were were kind of a blend themselves uh, went into the original series, which we now call signature series. Um, when I finally was able to make some friends and unearth some higher quality and uh, unblended oriental varieties. Uh, they cost more, but it was worth it, and that's where our Marquee series came from. That's a perfect spot for us to take a break. When we come back, 
we're going to dig right into Hearth and Home. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. We are back. Russ... Tell me, uh, tell me, how do you how do you get around to the beginning of the Hearth and Home series? Well, after uh, after we put those first six blends up on the website, uh, a few people tried them and wrote about them in some of the forums, and uh, after that, other people tried them and threads got started. Uh-oh. And I jumped in and started responding, and people gave me ideas for new blends and, and that sort of thing. And uh, the, it grew from six to uh, about ten blends pretty quickly. And uh, and it just took on a life of its own. Um, you know, I, I had no idea about uh, how large the reach of pipes and cigars was until then. Um, we, you know, we shipped everywhere. So uh, all of a sudden I'm hearing from people from all over about the blends. And uh, and uh, Scott was so encouraged by the uh, the early success of it that he just told me, keep coming out with new stuff. So... Uh, that's exactly what I did, and uh, it grew from about 200 pounds or so uh, of tobacco that first year to last year somewhere between 10 and 15,000. Now, do me a favor and describe the difference between the signature and the marquee again. Okay, uh, the signature was using um, the components that are readily at hand, and, and when it comes to the Orientals, uh, they're mostly blended uh, blended versions of, of a variety of leaf. And, and so I, I didn't have the kind of control over uh, the blends that, that I really wanted, but I, I was happy with the results. Um, when I started being able to get some of the individual Orientals, uh, different types of Virginias and Burleys and, uh, and the like, uh, then I was able to start doing the kind of, of blends that I, I really wanted to do. Uh, but it, it, it definitely was becoming, uh, an issue for price. Uh, so we discussed it, 
and uh, decided that what we needed to do was to come up with a second line of hearth and home uh, so that people could understand that there were costlier tobaccos going into the blends. Uh, there were processes that I would do in making the tobaccos that took more time, more labor. Um, and as a result, they needed to be priced a little higher than the signature series. Now, when you're when you're looking at a blend and you've got an idea, what's your what's your approach? How do you go about starting to work on the blend and developing the blend? Well, it all depends on what the initial thought process is. Um, Sometimes I'm trying to uh, come up with something that will remind the pipe smoker of a blend that's no longer available. Uh, Sometimes I'm trying to fill a gap in our product line. Uh, I feel a need to, to get something in between this medium-bodied blend and this full-bodied blend. Um, Possibly it it would be a suggestion from a customer that just intrigues me, or it might be that I'm trying to do something completely different. And and so the jumping-off point is going to be different for every single one of them. so there's there's no one process. It, it can be uh, any number of, of different approaches depending on what the goal is. And do you start with what you think will will work with the blend and go through a testing process? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I know that some of the other blenders around, and most of whom I'm, I'm friends with, um, they'll have a bit more of a scientific approach to it. Uh, I do it strictly by my palate. That's just the approach that works for me. So I, I have an idea in my mind of what flavor and what aroma I'm looking for from the tobacco. And, and that's what I work toward. And then the fine-tuning will come when I found the flavor I'm looking for. Maybe it burns a little hot, so I, I may have to use a different cut to slow the burn down. Um, you know, the, the minor details that, that, that I feel need to be tweaked uh, to go between... Uh, uh, a satisfactory sample and something that I actually want to sell. How many of the blends that you've done have you hit on the first try? One. And that and one that is? Was, that was Larry's blend. And you nailed it on the first try and it was perfect from the first from the, uh, from the first shot? Yeah. Um, we had the first six uh tobaccos that I had brought to the pipe club and I had the guys try them and one of our club members was a real Latakia file. I mean this this guy I think had a, a hook on his nightstand with straight Latakia going so he could smoke at night. <laughs> and 
and um, he tried my 10 to midnight, and he said, you know, he said, I liked it, but it was too bright. He said, I, I like the deeper, more buttery tasting Latakia blends, sort of like some of the Dunhills. And I said, give me a second, and I walked away, and I, I took the recipe for 10 to midnight, and I changed a few of the components to try to, to darken it up and make it warmer. And it took me about 15 minutes, and I came back out with a sample, and I gave it to him. And he loaded up his pipe, and he lit and sat there with his eyes closed for a moment. And then he broke out in a grin and nodded his head. He said, that's it. And that's Larry's blend. And let me guess, the guy's name was Larry? Wow. Oh, I'm so that, smart. That's great. Yeah, that on the first try. Yeah, yeah, he... Uh, he liked it, and uh, and that and that has been our best-selling Latakia blend uh, right along. Uh, now, uh, Black House and Magnum Opus are are competing against it, but uh, but Larry's is still a real strong seller. Which one of your blends took you the longest to get the final mixture? Uh that would be a tie in two cases it took me two and a half years to get them right um classic burly cake took a long time i tried a combination of, of different things and different processes and everything else and i could never get the flavor i wanted uh and then I, it had, it had a chocolate element to it. I, I so I used the typical <clears throat> chocolate flavorings that are available for tobacco. I tried a few different types and I just was completely dissatisfied with the flavor. So I was going through the supermarket, walking down the baking supplies aisle and I walked by where they have the extracts, and I looked at the extracts, and I saw a chocolate extract, and I shook my head, and I got angry because, you know, I tried I tried everything, and nothing had worked. And I walked past the extracts, and I saw something on the shelf, and a light went on, and I called myself an idiot. Uh, and I picked up a tin off the shelf and paid for it and went in the next day and used cocoa instead of using chocolate flavor and it worked and it took me two and a half years to figure that out <laughs> the, the other one was uh, fusilier's ration and that was because i was trying to come up with something as close as possible to the old bengal slices and the 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 part that eluded me was the top dressing. Uh, Bengal slices definitely had a top dressing. 
but I couldn't figure out what it was. And I tried so many different things, and nothing ever came close. And then one day I just decided to be a little more analytical about it, and I started going through the flavorings that they could use at that time in the U.K., and I started playing around with just those flavorings, and finally I hit on a combination of the two, and it worked. Uh, but in both cases, it was flavoring that caused me not to be able to find what I was looking for until, you know, two and a half years down the road. And then voila. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, well, like so many other things in life, when you finally accomplish it, you sit down and look back at the process and wonder how you could have been so stupid as to not pick up on it before. Now, when you're working on a blend that's supposed to represent or you know, replace one of these long-ago-gone long blends, are you doing that based off of your memory of the blend in the past, or do you actually go out and get one of them and try to work from that? Uh, no, normally I go I go by my memory uh, of the blend. The only time that I, I, I worked off a sample was with Black House because that was for the uh, throwdown in 2011 at the Chicagoland uh, show. Um and they sent us 21 grams of Balkan Sobrani 759 from 1988. And what makes that approach different, obviously, is that I was trying to match that sample. Right. I wasn't trying to match 759, but I was trying to match a 23-year-old sample of the blend, which, of course was much different in 1988 than it was when I smoked it in 1978. And, and of course, the tobaccos change with time and age. So, um, so I, when I did Black House, you know, I, I try to tell people I wasn't trying to copy Balkan Sobrani 759, I was trying to copy that particular sample, and there's a vast difference between the two. Yeah, recreating something that's aged for a long time or recreating it when it was brand new. <laughs> yeah, very different. And lastly, because I know Mel Feldman, did you work with him on recreating the smoker blends? Yeah, um... When when Mel stopped making the blends, a lot of the tobaccos that he had access to uh, were no longer commercially available. So Mel and I worked on the blends, and I uh, I worked on trying to find compatible components uh, that we could get our hands on that were similar to what he used to use. Um, so I would put it together and then Mel and I would sit down and we would smoke the samples and he would give me his feedback and then we would, uh, go back and tweak things as needed. 
<laughs> and I know Mel, he doesn't have much of a filter when he gives feedback either. No, no. Um, it, it was an honor for me to do it because, I mean, obviously here's, here's the guy who got me started with blending, and now I had the responsibility of trying to to bring his tobaccos back to the market. And, you know, it, it was a daunting uh, project. And at the same time, you know, I really wanted the best out of it because Mel deserved it. And um, we uh, we went through, and and uh, when we were all pleased with the uh, result and we got it all set up to produce, um, we had uh, we had a, a pipe club meeting where we had everybody sample the tobaccos and um, and I I said to everybody there you know this was a special project for me because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for Mel and Mel was sitting there and it was the first time I've ever seen Mel speechless. <laughs> but uh, but it it was a it was a, a nice moment. And now we're we're running out of time, but I want to deal with the uh, with the elephant in the room, possibly. Uh, <laughs> there's been a bit of a transition lately. Mm-hmm. Tell yep. us how the uh, how is the move from Albany down to Bethlehem going, and uh, anything coming up in the future? Well. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a learning process. It was a whole new culture for the people in Bethlehem. Um, you know, we, we faced a, a problem in Albany. We were growing to the point where we were going to have to make a huge investment in new infrastructure. We would have had to buy new equipment, hire more people, find a new building. And that would have that would have really taxed. Uh, our resources. Uh, so when the opportunity came along to move the business into a situation where all of the infrastructure was already in place, uh, it made a lot of sense. So uh, I went with the company uh, down here to Bethlehem. The, the, the pipe culture and we all know is just vastly different than the cigar culture. And uh, the people had to get a, get an understanding of what needed to be done to satisfy the pipe customers. And we, we had our hiccups along the way. Um, but we finally gotten the website off the old platform, which was – very difficult to work with, uh, wouldn't allow us to have real-time inventory, uh, wouldn't allow us to do a lot of things, and the search function was pretty weak. Uh, the new website now has all of those things going for it. Um, they're getting a, a grip now on uh, what we need to do to satisfy the pipe customer. And... From my end, uh, I have to say that they have been nothing but 100% supportive of Hearth and Home and making the uh, 
making the the brand grow. Uh, we've got a lot of things that will be coming up with Hearth and Home in the next year, including, uh, for the first time, we'll be putting together blends for other companies. Uh, and I, I can't get into details about any of it right now, but this year we'll be releasing a number of, uh, of tobaccos that we'll be producing that will be coming out under other brands. And uh, on top of that, we have our uh, Pipe Tobacco of the Month Club that just started, which allows people on a subscription basis to, uh, to get tobacco sent to them every month at a, a very nice price. And we're going to come out with something in a few months that's going to be very different. It's going to allow people a lot of flexibility in having their tobacco the way that they want it. And I, if I'm being vague, it's intentional, but uh, it's going to be pretty neat. Well, I'm going to interrupt you here because Kevin told me in his ear that he had to go run and fix something real quick. And I know you've done a lot of writing for the website, and Kevin's not listening right now. Uh, any stupid ideas or stupid things that Kevin's asked you to write about? Uh, let's see. Uh, he, well, actually one thing he, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't let me, uh, write about was, um, uh, for a while I was thinking that the perfect vessel to mix small batches of tobacco in actually was a toilet. Now, not a used one, but you know, oh, okay. but 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 it, it would have been ideal for the purpose. And and I told him that I wanted to write an article called "From Our Bowl to Yours." <laughs> he he didn't care much for that one. Would those blends work really well in porcelain pipes? Oh, absolutely! It'd, they'd be perfect for porcelain pipes. Uh, have you ever written an article where Kevin had to ask you what you were talking about? Uh, no, no. Uh, Kevin's pretty sharp. There have been a couple of times where um, he he wondered where I was wandering to, uh, but but that's that's the way my mind works. So I'm I'm not too surprised. All right, we will we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. Whatever comes up, whatever comes to your head. Are you ready? You got it. What's your favorite pipe? A Sheraton Distinction that I have a, a, a Dublin. What's your favorite tobacco? Magnum Opus. That's the one I made for me. And I thought you were going to say Middleton's Cherry. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Bourbon. And when it's time to relax, which you haven't had much of lately, uh, when it's time <laughs> to relax, is it a book, a movie, or some music? When I really want to relax, uh, I have the entire collection of the Granada Sherlock Holmes TV series. I'll toss one of those discs in. And lastly... What's your favorite pipe smoking memory? 
I would probably have to say that at the throwdown in 2011, when and it wasn't it wasn't just for me, but after it was all over, seeing 350 or so pipe smokers stand up and give the blenders and the judges and the members of the Seattle and New York Pipe Clubs uh, a standing ovation. Uh, that really caught me off guard. All of Russ's work with the Hearth and Home Tobaccos, check them out. Not only that, check out his articles on the homepage of pipesmagazine.com. Russ, thank you for your time. Not at all, Brian. Thanks. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back. I also want to mention that uh, the Hearth and Home tobaccos are available at your favorite tobacconists all across the country as well. All right, for music, we're going to Harry Connick Jr. The album is called Star Turtle, and it's a uh, an album of all original songs of Harry's. kind of tells the story of one night in New Orleans. Uh, the song that I'm going to play is called Hear Me in the Harmony. It's one of my favorite Harry Connick Jr. albums. It's probably my favorite, and it's the one that really kind of got me hooked into them. It's all original, all unique, all Harry, and we're playing it because Harry is now a judge on American Idol. So here's a little Harry Connick Jr. Nobody hears your song 
you go harry connick jr kind of a concept album called star turtle check out the whole album it's a lot of fun little different slant on him and i like it when he's not doing just the uh, just the classics this is all original stuff all right we're jumping right into the mailbag here we go uh mr lowercase posted in the forums uh two days ago a 1972 walgreens ad for sobrani escudo and dunhill etc it's from the Milwaukee Journal, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, Cope's Escudo Navy Deluxe from United Kingdom, A1 Pure, one and three quarter ounce tins, 99 cents at Walgreens. 
Uh, it goes on to talk about Walgreens here. Nearby Walgreens features tobaccos. Tobaccos from America, Greece, Macedonia, and Turkey blended by experts in London, Denmark, Sweden, and Holland. Ready for your smoking pleasure at your nearby Walgreens. Tobaccos from around the world. John Cotton's Burley. Sweet Danish blend. So rich. Three and a half ounce tins. Two for a dollar. Uh, a blend I've never heard of before. Taconis Cavendish. Imported from Holland Aromatic. The pouch is 37 cents each. Uh, this is going to make Russ cry when he hears this. And this is what I had Kevin run off and get for us. The Balkan Sobrani. Imported from England. White label. Two ounces. A dollar thirty-one. For you high rollers out there, Black Label Balkan Sobrani, two ounces, $1.45. A couple other things, uh, Truce Cavendish, $0.39, and then the Kristen Briar Pipe, K-R-I-S-S-O-N, Briar Pipe Freeform Designs, looks like a Danish freehand to me. Super low price of $7.77. I'm going to try to get Kevin to pop a link up to that for you guys to take a look at. In response to last week's show, John Seiler writes in, Hey Brian, Happy New Year. Nice discussion on STEM work and the button or end. Pretty complete discussion. Uh, while listening tonight, I'm smoking a Northern Briars Roxy Cut ELX size. That's either a dancer or a pipe. I'm not sure, John. But uh, now that you're retired, it could be either one. Uh, with a Cumberland stem and some F&T cut blended plug that I purchased in 2001. Most enjoyable, both the tobacco and the show. Uh, John also writes that I'm looking forward to see the results of Father of the Flame. The trailers are quite good. I saw the group at Chicago. And uh, he thinks that fur coats were also uh, perfect Christmas commercials. Uh, Ed Green wrote, Great show as usual. Please tell me that is not Molta Dolce in front of Brian in the picture. That would turn my world kind of upside down if so. I'm not sure what tin that was in front of us. Those were samples put out on the tables by our friends at Sutliff Tobacco. Uh, Casey Ghost. The discussion on stems and buttons, the pipe parts segment of the show, continues to impress. I wish I could tell you what I'm smoking, but I'm at work, so I'm not smoking anything. Uh, the Father of the Flame guys have really bit off a tough nut in trying to do this film. They're looking to a group of people, pipe enthusiasts, who throw nickels around like they are manhole covers. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, to top off their knowledge of the subject is rather light. I did find it interesting that they mentioned they were going to put Mark Ryan in the film. When I talked to the film crew in 2013 Chicago show, they didn't have the faintest idea who Mark Ryan is. They do seem to be very competent. Their craft, the trailers they have released are outstanding. Nothing but kudos to Kevin and Brian for uh, being willing to help the help these guys out. Yeah, they're learning a lot as they go, and they're picking up more and more ideas as they go. Ed Green also goes on to say, uh, the last several weeks' shows have revealed to me another impact of the show. I'm mostly homebound, and a pipe show would be physical torture for me. The radio show is a little like being at a nice show and hearing the participants and something of their wares. 
And from Facebook, uh, Sean Haynes wrote in, I've just recently discovered your podcast on iTunes, sadly at episode 67. Luckily, they have all the past episodes to the beginning. That is all thanks to uh, Kevin and all the sponsors keeping the keeping all that data up there available for you guys. Uh, I began loading up past shows from episode one and have been listening to them on my one and a half hour commute to work and am currently on episode 12. I've greatly enjoyed them and find myself learning something I didn't know every show. The one surprisingly I have to say I liked the best though was the interview with Father Dave and his very heartfelt non-judgmental and all-inclusive holiday greeting at the end. Really spoke volumes about him. I won't babble on any further except to say thank you so much for all the work you've done and for bringing such an enjoyable program to the air. You're welcome. And with that, rant time coming up next. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's cupojoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to cupojoes.com, and there it is, cupojoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. Hi, this is Pipe Babe Cynthia, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Cowboy. Cowboy. make this as short and sweet as possible because I got a date with the DVR because two shows on tonight and a little glass of bourbon because it's cold tonight. So here it goes. Forum member Foggy Mountain and the occasional radio listener got an unsigned note. And I'm going to paraphrase this, but he got a note left on the front door of his New York City apartment that he's lived in for 48 years saying that the smoke is bothering him. He goes on to say essentially that it's some new younger neighbors that have just moved in and they knew that he smoked and the smoke is apparently bothering them. And he basically told them, you know what, I was smoking here before you were born, stick it. Well, here's what I want to say to them also. If you don't have the nerve to sign the note, then stick it. If you come to me and I tell my kids this all the time, you come to me and tell me somebody or I heard, give me a name. If you don't know who said it, and if you're not willing to write your name down on it and sign it, don't don't even worry about it. Just stick it. Just keep it to yourself. The unsigned note, the unacclaimed quote, whatever, I don't care. If you can't put your name on it, you're not willing to put your name behind it, you're not willing to say who you are when you're writing it or when you're saying it, stick it. That's my point of view, and I don't care what you think about it. Every every time I do this show, I put my name on the front of it because I believe it. You post something, you send a note to somebody, you send an anonymous email, whatever, put your name on it. If you don't put your name on it, then you're chicken shit and stick it. I think think what we all ought to do is we all ought to head to New York and go to Foggy's uh, apartment and have a little uh, Manhattan smoke-in with Foggy and uh, support him and tell his neighbors, hey, stick it. 
All right, that wraps up another episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Remember, please keep those iTunes reviews coming. If you haven't had a chance, please rate and review the show. That does help us. If you want to follow me on Facebook, do that. Leave any comments, got any suggestions, post them on the forums. I do read them all, and I look forward to reading them all. So with that, I'll say thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to Wretched slugs. Don't any of you have the guts to play for blood? I'm your huckleberry.